I want to do it with joy because the greatest appreciation we can show for our lives is to enjoy them as fully as possible. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and influential guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and Zestful Ager. And if you like this podcast, you'll love my companion course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You'll have access to what I've learned from being a psychotherapist for 30 years and the latest research on what habits really matter and contribute to vibrant aging. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky beside me, my coffee in my hand, so let's begin. Today we're speaking with Bronnie Ware, who's the author of the international best-selling memoir, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, which has been translated into 32 languages and has a movie in the pipeline. Her work has already left a positive imprint on millions around the globe and continues to inspire change every single day. Welcome to the show, Bronnie. Thank you, Nicole. It's a delight to be here. I'm so excited to to speak with you. As you know, I I'm a great fan of your work, and when I teach my um, courses, I I always talk about your work and your book. And people are always very interested to hear what the five, the top five regrets are. Maybe we can start with you telling us the story about how you came to write the top five regrets of the dying book. Uh, Sure. I'd just finished working with dying people for eight years and then I set up a songwriting program in a women's jail and an editor of a music magazine, I was a singer-songwriter as well as a caregiver, and uh, an editor at a music magazine asked me to write an article for his magazine about teaching in the jail and how I got that program set up. And when I finished writing that article, I thought, why aren't I writing more? I I love writing. And so I thought, okay, I'll start a blog. (laughs) This is in 2009. And so I was sort of questioning what to write about and just got very clear guidance within me, just write what you know. And because I'd just finished working with dying people and my life had been transformed through those years incredibly, it was the regrets that they had shared with me that had had the biggest impact on me. So I just sat down and wrote the top five regrets of the dying because it was it had become such a part of my my learning and my own belief system by then that it just flowed out of me as naturally as conversation. And yeah, that that sort of took off and reached a million people in the or it didn't take off for about six months I was uh, I had to go through a bit of healing and uh, myself before I was ready for that level of publicity I think and yeah about six or eight months after it started taking off and then it just snowballed and the article then went uh, it reached over a million people in the first year and over eight million people in the first three years and so during that process I was approached to write a book about it and like most people I had a book in me and 
so I put the proposal together and was signed to an agent and the book was rejected by 25 publishers so so I put it out independently and then at a crucial moment in the same 24 hours as my daughter was born I'm a late in life mum I became a mum at 45 um, in the same 24 hours as she was born uh, I was offered an international publishing deal and so it's that was seven and a half <laughs> years ago and it's just it just keeps on snowballing. I remember you saying, I think in your TED Talk, that you weren't uh, thinking about being a palliative care nurse growing up or as an adolescent. I mean, it's something you kind of fell into. I wasn't even thinking about it when I fell into it. (laughs) (laughs) I had just put out a really big prayer with heart for a job with heart. That's all it was. And because mm-hmm. I'd done the Australian backpacking thing over in Europe, I'd worked as a companion for a while. So I took on a role as a live-in companion so I could focus on my singer-songwriter journey and not pay rent or a mortgage. That was my my intention. I needed a job with heart and a live-in job. And when my first patient, with that intention, when my first patient in Australia became um, terminally ill, the agency I was working with asked, would I like to stay on? And I said, okay, because I felt I was called to it. And so I said some big prayers for strength and uh, asked every nurse and doctor who came to the lady's home everything I could and just learnt on the job. And after the first patient, the agency said, look, you just handled that so well. We think you've got a calling for it. Do you want to keep going? I said, okay, well, why not? And yeah, <laughs> little did I know that it was actually going to link in with my creative journey and would be so much a part of my life's calling. And I'm so grateful for that. What was it like, uh, you know, when you first started? I, I'm imagining that it had some challenges. Oh, it was scary. It was really scary because I, I really didn't know what I was doing. But I, I'd been very close to my grandmother and she had died by then. And so I just treated every person as I would my grandmother. I was, you know, brushing their hair and um, moisturizing their backs and doing all these extra duties that weren't expected and just pampering things as well as the general personal care. And And it was scary, but I had a lot of faith in life that I was called to this and I'd done a lot of healing in myself already so I did feel that that I, I was trusting in in life I just thought okay well if I don't know anything I've just got to ask and I just kept trusting one one step at a time and yeah, it was certainly very confronting especially when the first couple of people died and I had never been around death. I'd grown up on a sheep farm, so I'd been around a lot of animals dying, but I'd never held, you know, held someone through to their dying time. And uh, yeah, it was, especially the first one was very confronting because the family chose not to be there. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> it was a big learning curve to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, you were saying you were doing some extra duties like putting moisturizer on them and, and brushing their hair, it sounds like you brought a lot of kindness and and love to your work. I didn't know any other way, Nicole. That was I had to just do what I felt was right and what I would have liked if I was in that position. And, you know, because I did think of them as 
like my grandmother, then automatically there was love. But also it was, I was doing 8am to 8pm shifts and the families would come and go, the the doctors, the community nurse, they'd all come and go and then it would just be me and the patient again. And so they were very personal and intimate relationships anyway. And so it was just natural if we're sitting there talking for me to, to just start I don't know, giving them a manicure or moisturising their hands or, or moisturising, giving them a foot massage while they lay in their bed and we chatted. And yeah, mm-hmm. I just think the tactile uh, relationships that we formed probably helped the conversations become as personal as they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you have a real um calling to do service i mean if you're if you're teaching songwriting in a jail you know these things have some (laughs) common common uh themes here of of helping marginalized people who are forgotten yeah I, i guess that's what i got called to but um not necessarily consciously. The the jail was more conscious because it came after the palliative care work. And in that case, it was that I wanted to work where there was some hope because I was learning so much through the dying people that I wanted to pass that learning onwards, having no idea that I was going to become the author that I am. Um, mm. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, my life's been transformed through all these lessons from the dying, and it's being transformed through healing through the expression of songwriting. So yeah, in hindsight, it was, it's strange, because I'd never even been inside a jail, I'd never been a teacher. And then I just thought, hmm, I wouldn't mind setting up a songwriting <laughs> program in a jail. And I did it. Mm. That's what's even more bizarre that that I managed to do it. So, yeah, perhaps... What, 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 is the, what is the curriculum like when you go into a jail for women? How, how do you teach songwriting? Well, that's the thing. I think it's an individual thing because I found funding through the philanthropic sector through a friend of one of my dying patients. And the dying patient had been a really difficult woman to work with and this mutual, this friend of hers said if you can look after her in the way you've looked after her you can do anything and I said well actually I've been thinking about doing this and she said oh well I've, I used to be the CEO of Philanthropy Australia I'll put you in touch with the right people and it took us about a year or so but I got some external funding and so what that meant for the jail was that I was a volunteer in their eyes and it wasn't an accredited course. So I basically just developed the program as it went along. I was there for about a year and uh, and I just developed it as it went along and created each module based on my class and their needs and mm-hmm. and mainly just about having the, the uh, developing the courage to express yourself honestly because that that is where the healing comes, whether it's through songwriting or just verbally. The more courage we can bring to expressing ourselves, then the more we heal. I'm thinking of the the five regrets, and am I right that that is one of the regrets, not bringing enough courage and not expressing oneself clearly? Mm, the third regret, the third most common regret, was wishing that they'd had the courage to express their feelings, and that's actually the regret that influenced me personally the most as well. So perhaps that's why I was called to to do the jail job as well. I'm I'm really not sure, but yes, the the dying people who felt that 
there was so much anguish around it, wishing that they had had the courage. It, it sort of came from, from two angles. One was they wished they'd had the courage to let their families and loved ones know how much they loved them. There were families who just didn't have that communication channel open where where the dying person felt safe to be completely vulnerable and the whole family was pretending nothing was going wrong, they weren't dying and let's not talk about it now and, and all they wanted to do was open up and really share their their final thoughts and it was so it was, there was just so much anguish and frustration for these people who who didn't have the courage in their lifetime to express their feelings and then when it came to the final days there was no one there to listen other than a than a caregiver who wasn't even related and mm-hmm. then it also mm-hmm. came from the angle where people wished they'd express their feelings in self-love where they had they wished they'd spoken up for themselves um, against some of some family dynamics and opinions mm-hmm. and the the first one if i'm if i'm not mistaken is i wish i wouldn't have worked so hard Mm, that was a, that was the second one, yeah. Oh, that's the second one. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Wait, that's the first one. Remind but the me. The first is I wish I'd lived a life true to myself, not the life that other people expected of me. Uh-huh. Mm, and then the second, which was you know, so these are these are listed in terms of how often I heard them and mm-hmm. just how how strongly the message came through. And yes, certainly the second was I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And that was not about not loving your work. You know, sometimes um, I've, I've been slammed in some huge newspapers that people say, oh, but there's nothing wrong with loving your work and mm. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, hang on, don't shoot the messenger here. I'm only passing on the regrets that dying people actually had. And what I learned from them was a lot of them loved their work, but they still regretted working too hard. And they said that it it's not about having passion for your work that's great it's fantastic when we do I'm the same I love my work and really have to pull myself back from working too hard but what it is it's about maintaining a sense of balance so that if your work is taken away from you that you still have a life beyond that and also even if your work isn't taken away from you by honoring other areas of your life then it creates more efficiency in your work anyway because Life supports your courage and life will also, in a way, give you shortcuts to where you want to go if you're not trying to control every step of the way yourself by doing by just working 50 or 60 hours a week. If you can pull that back and give another 10 or 20 hours to other areas of your life, you're going to meet someone who will know someone who'll know someone or you're going to get an idea in a random conversation with a stranger because all of a sudden you're more open and you're not focused on always finding the solutions or controlling how how your work results are going to unfold and yeah it's been it's been an amazing experiment that one for me uh just seeing the pain of it in other people i've really honored that area of my life and those other areas of my life and not worked too hard and i've found this to be absolutely true that life it's almost like life just breathes a sigh of relief and says oh my goodness now i can help her you know she's <laughs> she's stepped out and she's having some fun she's and taking now taking a break <laughs> yes and i can whisper in her ear now or i can send this oh. person along to help her out oh thank goodness she's letting go a bit 
Well, hi there, Zestful Agers. I wanted to tell you about an online summit called the Healthy Aging Summit, where I join an amazing group of professionals coming together to teach you how to live with zest and increase your longevity. It's a four-day virtual summit from November 21st through November 24th of healthy aging experts who are speaking on how to overcome age-related challenges or declining mental fitness. And the best part about this online summit event is that it's free, but only for a short while. It's time to maximize your physical and mental health so you can stay active and avoid the pain of declining health. Be sure to register while the Healthy Aging Summit is still free. Just go onto my website, nicolechristina.com, and click on the Healthy Aging Summit banner. I hope to see you there. You have a very strong sense of the spiritual. Mm, yeah, I, yes, I do. It's it's a non-religious mm-hmm. sense. Um, I grew up on a on a farm, and I grew up in a, a quite a, a religious family. I had an uncle who was a priest and an aunt who was a nun, and uh, we grew up with a lot of the the sin and guilt sort of ethos. And uh, but I healed all of that and stepped away from it. And I, because I just felt that. There was no way only one religion could make sense. Even as a teenager, I thought, but that's not really kind to other people who who believe what they believe. And, uh, <laughs> You're leaving out a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them used to come to our farm and knock on the door to spread their word of God. And my father would actually get a gun. This is before gun laws changed in Australia and you couldn't have one. But he would sometimes get the rifle and say, okay, do you want me to actually load this or are you going to get off my farm? And that's just shocking. And and I used to look at that and think, but they clearly believe in God and why is their God any different to mine? And so I see God now as as life, as, as a loving, beautiful, divine source that nurtures all of us and we learn it through different through different philosophies. Some people learn it through a church, some people learn it through meditation, some people learn it through sitting by a creek on their own listening to the the breeze through the trees. So um, yeah, but I have found that the stronger my faith and connection with God, the less I have to control try and waste my energy on trying to Mm. control where things go and the more joy I can actually allow myself because there's so many shortcuts that life wants to bless us with, but we have to have the courage to get out of out of the way and and to actually have the faith that will be supported. Boy, that word keeps coming up, the word courage. And I think a lot of us and as a as a psychotherapist, just seeing so many people who are so worried and anxious, not only about maybe their personal circumstances, but the state of the world and trying to maybe over control. What can I control in my life? How can I um, make it feel manageable? And I think what you're saying is, is just the opposite is letting go is where the freedom lies. Yes, yes. And, And it does take courage to let go. And often we don't 
learn the skill of surrender until we've put so much pain into trying to control things that we finally reach breaking point and say, okay, I've given it my best shot and this is not working. But a way to, to find courage to let go without having to reach that breaking point is facing the fact that you're going to die and that you are on limited time. And rather than see it as an awful thing, use it in a positive way as a tool for living and say, okay, I am on limited time. I want to see this aspect of my life unfold or I want to become this sort of person. So I want to do it now. I want to, I have to find the courage to do it now because I don't have forever. My time is decreasing every day. But also, I want to do it with joy because the greatest appreciation we can show for our lives is to enjoy them as fully as possible. And mm -hmm. so the more we dare to just let go a little bit and only do one step at a time instead of wasting all of our energy on the how and the long-term long vision, just think, okay, what can I do right now? I want to I want to see this dream unfold. I don't know how it's going to unfold. I'm really scared about it. I don't know if I can even allow myself the joy of it unfolding, but I want to give it a go. What can I do now? I can take the first step and I'm going to try and be brave enough to just take that step and when the next step reveals itself, then I'm going to trust that rather than having to know all the answers before I even take the first step. Mm-hmm. Boy, it sounds very relieving, I think, to know that you don't have to figure out all, you know, every single piece of the, the journey, that you just have to know the what, they, what I've seen, the, the next right step. Mm, you know, it, what's the next right step? Yes, that's, that's right, Nicole. And it is, it's absolutely liberating. It's, it creates so much mm. space and, and lifts the load enormously. And even if we think we know the, the hundred steps we need to get from here to our dreams, I mean, how often does, does it actually go that way? Never. There's always something thrown in to send <laughs> yes. us off in a different direction or or to carry us along and give us a bit of a help. And so, yes, I've found that more and more I, I practice surrendering with courage and the more I do so, the more life rewards me with shortcuts that could never have come about with my human logical mind. Do you um, recall when you were nursing um, the dying that there were deaths or a death that you thought to yourself, that's the kind of death I want? Mm. Yes. Yeah, there, there were different sorts of deaths and they were really quite relevant to how the person had approached their final months in terms of were they resistant or were they accepting, were they at peace or were they full of anguish and yes there was one woman who um, who I looked after and she was only the the second person I'd ever had who died in front of me and and she died so peacefully that I I didn't I wasn't skilled enough to recognize but I just didn't know if she'd actually died or not and her family was saying you know is she dead is she gone and I'm I'm trying to feel her pulse and and my heart's beating so strongly I couldn't mm -hmm. and, and but what happened with with her was she just 
She was so peaceful, but she, she'd been a meditator and a yoga teacher in the days well before yoga was, was popular. She was a woman way ahead of her time and lived in a very affluent area and, and lived in, in the, that society. And so she used to tell people she was a, an exercise instructor until they actually got to know her and then she'd, she'd tell them about yoga and then they're like, what is this weird thing? And, <laughs> and she was like, just such a beautiful woman to look after but she she um, had been a meditator and her frustration wasn't regrets it was that she was ready to die and she couldn't die yet and she's like oh this is so tedious I want to go and I can't even die and um, but when she did die she basically just closed she opened actually she'd been in a coma for about 12 hours and she just before she died she opened her eyes and her son was there and myself and her husband and she looked up at this point in the ceiling with the most incredibly beautiful smile of recognition and i don't know who she saw or what she saw but mm -hmm. i don't think i've ever witnessed that level of joy in someone's face ever and mm. ever before or ever since and then she just sort of went, uh, and her eyes closed, and that was it. And she was gone, and that's why the family were like, is she gone? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> I think so. And, yeah, and it was beautiful, and it was peaceful, and, and, and it was gentle. There was nothing, there was no sort of big shake of the extraction of the spirit leaving the body or anything like that. It was just close your eyes and go to sleep. And you know, it's it's the sort of death you wish upon anyone. Were you aware when you were with your patients that there was a very clear sense of being alive and then having the spirit leave the body? Oh yes, great question. Yes, it was it was so real the emptiness in a room after the person had died. It was. I can't even describe it because it, it really surprised me the first time. It's like, but she's still there and she was only there a couple of minutes ago, but she was so clearly gone. And so I started recognizing that and getting and expecting it, getting used to it. And absolutely, when, when someone had died, there was a, a definite um, emptiness. The spirit was, was well gone. Mm. It sounds like you learned so much doing this work, not only the regrets, but just the whole process and experience. I mean, just the base, you know, about our humanity, about, you know, what it looks like. It's, it's so profound. Yes. And the more we can speak about it, the, the better it is for all of us. But I think for me, I was just so incredibly blessed to see these lessons over and over that they were so powerful, I was absolutely determined to never have regrets in my own life. And so my own learning has expanded and um, incorporated so many other aspects of life now because I've realized to live a life truly free of regrets, there's a lot involved in the sense that you need courage, you need surrender, you need gentleness and compassion with yourself so that you can mm -hmm. forgive any old mistakes that you may consider regrets already. And mm -hmm. and you need gentleness and space and all of these other things. So yes, there's, there's a lot to living regret-free, but it's absolutely possible. And 
even though it sounds like a lot, it's really only making your choices as consciously as possible. Thinking, is this leading to regret or is this leading to honouring my heart? Is this leading to joy Is it, or is this driven by fear? Or is this kind to myself or is this critical to myself? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about how it must be for you to hear people in your world that you care about not really um, maybe understanding this process and maybe being stuck in guilt or regret and and how that must be for you to want to help them with that. Yes and no. Um, Yes, because of course you don't want to see anyone suffer, especially the people you love. You don't want to see anyone suffer. But we also, we're all on different um, places in our journeys and so there's no point preaching to people who are not ready. I, I'm not into preaching to anyone unless they're asking the questions because otherwise we're wasting our breath. We can't force somebody's learning upon them and we can't force their readiness upon them. Mm-hmm. And all we can really do is love them for who they are, not have expectations that are unrealistic and live by example in the hope that they'll actually think, okay, I mightn't have the courage to ask her how she does that, but look at what she's doing. I'm, I'm going to have a go too. And so I try to teach by example mm-hmm. much more than being the solution provider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can certainly appreciate that. Are there any other things that you'd like to tell our listeners who are you know, they're starting to think about that there is an end, that there's more life behind us than there is in front of us. Um, are there any other any other uh, pieces of wisdom you'd like to share? Well, it's mostly just be gentle with yourself and make your choices as consciously as possible at this point because mm-hmm. if you're thinking you'll get around to something one day, and you're at this point now where you could actually start choosing in that direction and you don't, then it is going to lead to regret. But if you start choosing in the direction that you want to go and being courageous enough to honour where life is guiding you step by step, then you're likely to see what you want to unfold. But even if you don't, knowing that you've had a go and you've steered your life in that direction is going to stop you from regretting not having done it and life will bless you in other ways because honestly life knows what we need way way more than we think we know what we need (laughs) so i just think try and bring as much consciousness into your choices and try and treat yourself with as much loving kindness as possible and ask and is what i'm doing right now truly kind to myself and if it's not what could I how could I change this and make this a kind thing Um, because we all deserve our own love we all we're all great at giving love most of us are great at giving love to Mm -hmm. other people especially women I think oh yes yeah but we need to also give it to ourselves and 
enjoy this last these last decades of our lives you know it we don't know when when it's over but we're certainly past the halfway point and most of us who are listening and and myself included and so just try and see that every day is is a sacred gift and think try and bring as much consciousness into how you're spending mm-hmm. your time mm-hmm. yeah i think that that idea of presence and that really being in that this moment is the only moment that really exists oh and it's beautiful when you when you live like that it just lets go of so much other mental clutter mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where can people find out more brawny Where's the best place for them to uh, sure. to find you? Yes, it's it's bronnyware.com is is my website, and I'm also mm-hmm. on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but bronnyware.com is my is the mothership of my online existence. <laughs> <laughs> and you have your um, the top five regrets is coming out with a new edition. Is yes, that correct? it's it's just released. It's just released. So lovely. Um, it's an updated edition where my writing's tighter and I've shared a little bit more than in the first edition as I've grown through my own resistance to to sharing. So um, yeah, it's out now and it's I'm I'm so proud of it. I, I'm just so delighted and grateful that I was able to give it uh, give it the update I have and give it mm-hmm. a, a whole new lease on life. Beautiful. And what what's this I hear about a movie? Uh, yes, there is a movie in the, in the pipeline. Um, it's a, a few years into it now. It's a big um, – movies can take a long time, but it's, um, it's absolutely beautiful. There's such a conscious team working on it. And, uh, yeah, so it's going to be – about regrets of the dying basically a movie because the book is a memoir of my own life and how it was transformed through the regrets that dying people shared with me so the movie will be similar it, it will be a journey of a section of my life and um with with the influences of dying people in that as well so yeah it's um I don't know. It's a little bit surreal. <laughs> it's happening. It's definitely happening, but it's 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 a little bit unusual. I I don't really know how I feel about it other than grateful. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's one step at a time on that one. I imagine it's going to be very inspiring to people as where our generation and our demographic is just growing and growing all over the world. Um people really need to think about this yes yes and and the movie is uh, is told beautifully like this the way they've shaped the script around the book it's Mm. you know when I read the script it's like I want to see this movie (laughs) (laughs) that's a that sounds very positive oh Bronnie it was such a pleasure speaking with you and I so appreciate you making time for us I know you're very busy and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom on on such an important topic. And thank you, Nicole. It's, it's been such a lovely chat. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world, the goodness that you're bringing into the world as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com.
In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. See you then.